It's bad ink jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. Welcome to the Bookie Bashing, weekly bashcast brought to you by BookieBashing.net. This is Big, looking at next week's opportunities and last week's profits. This is Bashcast episode number 129, Jesus and the Wolves. It's 25 minutes past three on Thursday the 17th of January 2019. Coming up in tonight's Bashcast, we look at the variance of losing money on the value mugs as we are doing so at the beginning of 2019. We focus on Manchester City versus Wolverhampton Wanderers and an untested hypothesis on some value there. A little roundup on the uh, Australian Open Tennis, which is on right now as I speak. Joe Conta is playing Muguruza despite the fact it's 26 minutes past two in the morning in Melbourne. I don't understand that. We look at the William Hill race and discuss how to behave in shops after the break. Elite Risk Profile Document, Austin FC, release a hymn chant book and drones. Do we need to go and find some? All this and more coming up in tonight's Bashcast. Why are they still playing tennis at half two in the morning in Australia? Everyone's gone to bed there's nobody in the crowd everyone's got work in three hours or four hours it's one set all one game all in the third so I've got a little bit of money on Joe Conta no rhyme or reason behind it other than it's fun to follow the Brits more on the Aussie tennis in a little bit though so it's mid-January we're meant to be back into a routine now I had the first week off training because I broke my hand and was feeling sorry for myself I've gone back this week it's no fun rowing on the row machine with one arm or doing burpees with one arm especially my left arm isn't as strong so i'm paying the price for that this week because my hand is killing me i was almost gonna cancel the bash cast through injury but we'll soldier on like a trooper um let's have a look at the football from the weekend so a lot of the time on the bash cast i sort of fixate on where we made money because you know that's fun to talk about um, and I filter out all of the losses. Um, and that's not that's not indicative of a fair picture, to tell you the truth. Because not only are we value betting, but we're value betting... You know, the average odds I bet on in the first... In the last couple of years is, I happen to know, 3.8. So... When you're betting at an average odds of 3.8, the vast majority of the time, you're losing. And then when you win, you just win more than you lose. But I only talk about the wins. So it's maybe fair to have a look at the losses of which this year I'm spoilt for choice when it comes to when it comes to losses. Because there hasn't been a lot that's come in so far this year. The big Saturday, the 12th of... Um, January. Um, quite a few of the Fred. Fred does midweek and weekend enhanced accumulators. 
These are available in-store and online, and they're decent odds. Um, and again, he takes the same stake, whether it's 2-1 to one or 20-1. to one. So there's a lot more value, that means, in the 20-1s if you want to bet higher than he's allowing. And things like Barnsley, Bristol City, Burton and Mansfield, that was 7 to back. 6.7 would have been a fair market price, but because it had been driven down, something was happening. I think it was Mansfield because they were the common team throughout. You know, Liverpool, Man City, Mansfield, Portsmouth and Sheffield United was another one, so it's quite similar. Um, but with the results on Saturday, they didn't come in. I think it was Mansfield that let everybody down. Yeah, they lost to Yeovil Town, so the smart money was driving all of those boosts into value, and then it wasn't value. Arsenal were in a lot of trebles on the weekend. One of the more obscure ones was Arsenal, Leganese, and Iran. Uh, <laughs> Iran did beat Vietnam 2-0. How did Leganese get on? I don't... Um, Leganese... Did beat Huesca 1-0, so we were just left with the lunchtime game of West Ham versus Arsenal, where Aubameyang was, again, decent for double delight, hat-trick heaven in that. Uh, and that one was the killer of the day. West Ham won 1-0, and that sort of busted a load of different um, enhancements. Um, Fulham were in a lot in the 3pms. They got beaten by Burnley. Crystal Palace got beaten by Watford. Cardiff nil, Huddersfield nil, busted a load. Leicester got beaten by Southampton. So of the winners of the day, which was Liverpool, okay, Burnley, Watford, Southampton, not many people. There weren't there weren't really any any enhancements that were encapsulating those teams. So nothing came in on Saturday as it hasn't done, you know, all season. Um, into the evening games, we had. Um, um, Chelsea to win both halves which should have come in but Newcastle got a meaningless goal right at the end of the first half of that game to finish that 2-1 in the evening we had a completely different sport Chiefs to win by 7 or 12 points at 11-2 5.9 would have been a fair market price that didn't come in um, the NFL was a total bust the football was a total bust Arnaut West Ham scored the goal but Arnautovic wasn't the goal scorer at three to back, 2.86 to lay. And so, okay, we have one of these days where just nothing comes in and we have a big, fat, negative sign on the profit for the day. And um, I'm actually halfway through January. And if I just isolate my um, online value mugs into a category such as that, I'm quite down. I mean, I'm down like a grand on value mugs in um, the first half of this month. Which is okay. It's, per it's it's perfectly acceptable and reasonable in line with variance, but we things have been so good recently, and we've had this upward trend that it it has been a while since we've had to deal with a losing run. So what's important is it's important to sort of understand. the variance and it's important not to get too caught up on how bad things are and it's important not to get too caught up in how good things can be so typically i will bet to win 500 pounds on a value mug if i can i frequently cannot get that amount of money on um but where i can i will bet that amount 
Now, looking at my historical data of value mugs only online for the last six months, um, that kind of staking has brought me in four grand in December, seven grand in November, not very much, not even a thousand in October, um, five grand in September, three grand in August. We've got to go all the way back to May since we had a losing run. And the only that was the only losing month of last year. And then before that, December 2017, that was negative 3,000. And this could go the same way if it continues. Now, in a period of 12 months, when betting on thin value mugs, if I'm betting a 1,000 bets per year, which, by the way, I am, uh, so if you let, let's forget about the time scale looking at over a thousand bets if you're betting to win a hundred pounds then a reasonable downswing at any time would be a one thousand pound downswing and a relatively uncommon and pretty bad downswing would be two thousand pounds and we're getting into the seriously unlucky stage if you're ever losing three thousand pounds so that's probably something to consider when looking at bankroll management if your bankroll is two thousand pounds and you're betting to win 100 pounds on each of your value mugs then it's not impossible that you're going to lose that bankroll now i hope that bankroll isn't everything you've got in the entire world because if it is I'd consider that to be quite high risk. But I've, I, I've uh, awarded bankrolls to casinos, value bets, shop coupons. And I've got a bankroll for each of these. And I isolate all of my profits and I just check where I am. So I know what my bankroll is for specifically online value mugging. And I'm looking at that and I'm looking at being £1,000 down in the first 17 days of January 2019. And it's okay. We can still continue going on along this plane before we have to take action. And what do I mean by take action? Well, I could drop uh, my stakes. Now, I've never done that, and I wouldn't want to do that, but it is an option. You know, you can't just keep on doing the same thing, losing. Once we're beyond what we would expect by standard deviation, then you've got to think, do I need, am I, am I betting too high here? In other forms of value betting, I have been, I have known that I've been doing the right thing. The results haven't gone my way and I have dropped stakes and it sucks because you drop stakes and then the results immediately go your way and you're like oh well now i've i would have caught up but now i'm not going to however you know we've all if, if a bankroll is ever in danger of being busted then that could be one strategy another is to be more selective with ev so you know sometimes i'm placing 99 98 ev bets because they're steaming in um could that be a strategy where I'm being just too loose? Uh, could I just focus on over 100% things like that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm not at that stage yet, um, but I, I am aware that I'm in the middle of a losing run just for value mugs, just for online value mugs. Um, and I'm just, and so now I, I'm sort of going to monitor them a little bit closer than I was before. It's very, very easy to win. And when, when I'm winning, you don't 
I don't monitor them as much as I probably should. You see, when I'm winning, I should still monitor them, think there's anything I could be doing better. One thing I'm very bad at is upping stakes when um, I need to. And um, I... If I was reviewing my bets a little bit more closely, I would probably determine that I'm not betting optimally in certain areas. And I should be considering, you know, if the variance that I'm experiencing is so safe in my bankroll, then I'm probably not I'm maximizing the opportunity and I should be betting a little bit more. Um, but... I sort of just enjoy coasting along when we're winning and accepting all of the profits. Now, when I'm winning, I read this before. I read this over Christmas, and I may have mentioned it last week, but it's very, I, I remembered it when I read it, and I thought that's very, very profound and applies to my situation when I'm trying to remove all of the emotion. Um, the first thing is, you know, make sure that you're not getting caught up in the emotion of losing ones. There's no negativity. I'm not feeling bad. And if you are feeling bad, you need to focus on why, because you can't allow yourself to get into terribly bad moods when losing runs happen, because losing runs are inevitable. And anything that, when you start bringing negative emotion into it, then you your decision making becomes impaired. So first of all, it's all robotic. And I find this quite easy to do because I just imagine that this all this is is a simulation of an Excel. Uh, random number generator and I'm a robot placing bets you know and I have stop losses in place and things like that and safety nets and so there's no reason to get upset about losing runs um but this what I read is this person said that you're never as good as you think you are when you're winning and you're never as bad as you think you are when you're losing. And I pretty much think that that just applies here. Okay, yeah, I've gone a half month and things have gone really badly for the first half month. But I've noticed it because it's, we're now probably hitting um, an extreme run of variance. And things aren't this bad. I'm still averaging the same amount over a thousand bets. I'm still averaging the same amount over a year, and I still will average that, and I'm not going to escape that whilst I'm betting at the same EV and the same stake level. And I've experienced this before, and I will experience it again. And whilst it certainly feels like nothing's going my way, and, um, you know, what's the point of betting on these things tonight and tomorrow, um, this is exactly the same situation. These are exactly the same bets as they were a month ago when everything was winning. And when everything was winning, it's so much it's so easy to continue getting on more of the same bets when things are winning. And so that nothing's changed since then. And so I shouldn't be focusing on how bad things are. I should just be riding this out. And let's look at it after another couple of weeks. And let's see where we are in middle of February. And if things haven't turned around then, then let's start discussing options. But I'm not quite at the stage where I'm uh, I'm concerned. I'm just aware, I think. That's fair. Um, the football on Monday was worthy of discussion. Where Manchester City were at home to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Manchester City, who had... St- Stuck 16, I think, past Burton and Rotherham in the last two games. 
that they played. So it's fun watching City games. Um, Sergio Aguero was expected to start, and then an and you know he was valued uh, four point five to back at Betfred as a special hundred pound max. Four point two would have been a fair price for him, and he didn't start, which was unexpected. Um, so we found this out what eight pm kickoff, so seven pm team news was announced. Always a good time, exactly one hour before kickoff, um, to take advantage on price movement and um, the market where it's seen the most is first goal scorer and sometimes um, anytime goal scorer as well. Because anytime goal scorer is uh, you have the anomaly of if a player is unexpectedly on the substitute bench, he could still come on in the 75th minute and score a goal. Um, But if he's a big favourite to get a goal in the game like Aguero, and then you find out that he's on the subs bench, then strange things happen to his lead price and it can sort of, um, and his back price, and it can look like a roller coaster, the graph. And the same with first goal scorer. You know, it's not impossible that Aguero is going to come on as a substitute and score a goal, but it's much less likely, especially with a team like Manchester City, who are scoring all the goals for fun. I was playing around with some data, by the way, about Manchester City. Um, I got my hands on some big data, which is going to help with a lot of the odds compiling that we're doing. Let's open it up now. Where's my big data folder? So I got... 14,000 English matches going back to 2013. And I think I want to go back just a couple more years than that. I don't think going back much further past 2010 is going to be useful in terms of doing heuristic analysis on on corners, cards, shots, goals, and things like that. Because um, the game changes so much and has changed so much. And also, you've got to be quite selective on the leagues that you use. If you want to look at... Um, Dutch Eredivisie, or even the Eerste, the E E R S T E division, however that is pronounced, you wouldn't want to apply statistics in that to the Premiership because there are so many goals in the second division of the Netherlands for whatever reason. So I've got this data set, and it's going to help with like the more obscure events where we can just find out the occurrences um, for the William Hill bets. So they'll have shop offer thirteen. Um, both teams to score, both teams to have over two cards, both teams to have over three corners. Each um, is six to one. Well, whilst we're not going to price that exactly, what we can do is we can say, okay, let's find similar games. So what do I mean by similar games? I mean, let's look at the over 2.5 goals odds of the game that we're looking at at William Hill and let's filter out all the games with similar odds to that because now we're looking at all games that have similar number of expected goals. You see, if the expected goals in the game is even money for over 2.5, you don't want to be looking at a game in the past where it was 3.0 and you don't want to be looking at a game that was 1.2 because those goals will have so those games will have so many goals or so few goals that they're not going to be applicable to us but we can filter out similar games and we can just say okay the last 30 you know this has happened 2000 times and it's come in 200 of those 2000s so 10 to 1 sounds fair and if we're getting 20 to 1, I'm certainly going to say it's a bet. And if we're getting 5 to 1, it's certainly not a bet. And then in the middle, 
it's going to be a little bit marginal. And I'm probably not going to take things that are very close because of the accuracy of what we're doing. You've got to be looking at a lot of um, other factors like form, which this kind of heuristic interrogative analysis doesn't do. But it does certainly paint a picture as the kind of ballpark that we're in. This, this, I'm gonna, I want to make this available on the site. It's going to be an add-on tool at some point this year, and it just means that if you see a bet, you know, it's, it'll be an odd generator, but it's kind of just looking at historical occurrences for uh, the criteria of the attributes that you set. Okay, and I was looking at city. I was just messing around with the corners, and in corners, just like shots and just like goals. And just like cards, you, there's always more activity in the second half of a game. And, um, the first half is always more cagey. The second half is always more free-flowing. Um, uh, especially, and you know, the, the most common time that a goal is scored, there's a, there's a lot more goals scored in the 85th minute to the end of the game than there is in the 0 to 5th minute or 0 to 10th minute. And it's usual that teams have a lot more corners in the second half. Looking over just this season that we've had, Liverpool have had um, 85 corners in the second half. They've only had 54 corners in the first half. 63% of their corners are in the second half. Um, That applies all the way down the teams. You take somebody like Bournemouth... Bournemouth have had 81 in the first half, 44 in... 81 in the second half, 44 in the first half. Almost twice the amount of corners in the second half and the first half. And then you get to Manchester City, and Manchester City is the anomaly. They're a massive outlier. Um, They've had 72 corners in the second half of games. They've had 101 in the first half of games. They've had way more corners than anybody else in the Premiership. 173 combined. But why have they, Why are they having way more corners in the first half? Perhaps, perhaps it's because they, a lot of games, they've got the game dead and buried by the halftime, and so they just want to kill it. That's something to probably take um, note of if William Hill ever boosts these bets. So if it's a Man City game... And William Hill are sort of boosting, you know, Man City to have more corners in the second half. Well, we know we, historically that is not something that happens very often. They have way, way more corners in the first half. So in this game, Aguero was benched, which was really annoying for my early <laughs> bets that I'd had on Aguero. And Gabriel Jesus was the main striker in the game. And he did get to. He got the goal in the 10th minute, 39th minute, um, and there was no goal in the 78th minute as Man City won 3-0. Now, his price came down from 6 for first goal scorer all the way down to 4.5 when it was announced that Sergio Aguero wasn't going to start the game. So, you know, a 30% reduction in odds which is probably fair without the main protagonist playing now if you're fastest finger first you could get a few obs on him um it's not the greatest thing to do for the health and longevity of your account 
if you're going to arb, especially at the prices we could get. We could get 5.5 to back and 4.5 to lay out um, William Hill, Fred. Sky bet. I have a sky bet that is heavily restricted and bonus barred and gobbed and all the following. And I actually just don't care with the sky bet account. So I went on there and just stuck 40 quid on him, um, 50 quid on him at four to one, which is, you know, it's a decent amount that they're laying me. I know that's not the the lowest that they could restrict me. There are, so, there are several levels more to go, but it was decent enough if I can win 250 quid from Jesus scoring first, and I'm happy to do that. So, yeah, mugged the 50 on Jesus there. But I do want to win a little bit more than that. And start thinking a little bit laterally. Okay, well, that's the out-and-out first goal scorer market. But what else can we look at? And there are these pick-your-punts. They're called pick-your-punts some places. They're called pick-your-price or what bet or what price or build your bet. Th- these things that are like several different attributes that you put together and it comes up with a price for them. And the majority of the time, the prices are awful. Um, but they can have predefined ones as well that they highlight and sometimes boost. And I was thinking, well, if they've priced these up already and highlighted them, then the prices that they have may still be from when they priced it, when they assumed that Aguero was going to start. So I could get on these without really knowing if they're value or not. But I suspect with a 33% drop in Jesus's fair price, that they're more likely to be value than not. Even though I can't prove it, I think I'm going to be on the right side of the EV line. And this is a positive expectation strategy. Sure, sure. If I bet on like all of them blindly, there's definitely going to be some negative EV ones that come in. But I think that 33% drop in price for Jesus is enough that a lot of them would be positive expectations. So I found Jesus first goal scorer and Dendonka first card in the match at 50 to 1. There's Jesus first goal scorer and Danilo first card. Of the match at 66 to 1. And so these were all at Sky. And to me, this is just like a way of getting around the limits that I had on first goal scorer and getting more money on him. There was Jesus, Sterling, Silva and Sani to have 12 shots between them at 75 to 1. Now this is one that I suspected probably was still negative EV, but without Aguero and with the amount of shots um, that City had had um, in the last few matches... I like that one. I also really like betting at 75 to 1, to tell you the truth. <laughs> so, um, anyway, who did get the first card of the match? It was Fernandinho, and that wasn't one of the boosts, unfortunately. So, um, I was on quite a few, um, but not enough. Still turned a profit in that game, though. I mean, Skybet are, lim- are allowing me to win up to £500 on those silly pick-your-punts, and... When they were 50 to 1, 60 to 1, I wasn't losing that much money, just backing quite a few of them. Uh, and the first goal scorer um, bet winning made it come in as well. So another one, yeah, Jesus, Header and Sterling from outside the box, 150 to 1. Anytime someone steams in, 
like a lot. I'm not talking like a couple of notches. I'm talking like 25%, 30% and more, as Jesus did, needs to be a, about the area that we're talking about. It's probably worth quickly going and checking those predefined pick-your-punts and things and um, maybe catching a little bit of value. So the football all lost. Aussie Open is um, is off and running. Novak Djokovic is an even money favourite to win the men's outright. And whilst he looks good, you just it's just you can't bet on someone at even money in the second round or the third round as we are just now to win it. And Serena Williams is four point two on the exchange for the ladies. I talked last week that. Wimbledon might be a 12-hour game between Andy Murray and Kyle Edmonds. Well, it doesn't look likely now. Andy Murray had a press conference, I think the same day as I did the Bashcast last week, and said that he wasn't recovering from this hip injury, and so uh, it looks like he might retire. Um, it could be his last tournament. Wimbledon might be his last tournament. Um, he might have major surgery and try and come back. You never know. But he said this, and it was quite, you know, it was quite sad that he was being forced to retire through injury. And he played, um, was it Bautista Agut in the first round of the Aussie tennis and went two sets down and looked like he was going to lose the match. His price in the exchange when he was two set down um, was... 200, I think, or 150. And Bautista Agut certainly went down to 1.03 with a lot of money available. A lot of money available. And someone backed Bautista Agut for 185, no, 200,000 pounds at 1.03. So, you know, you got injured Murray. You've got Bautista Agut two sets up. It's all over. This is free money. And despite the fact that Bautista Agut is 1.03, £200,000 on him is £6,000. £6,000 profit just, you know, for something that surely is a complete certainty. So someone, I mean, if you look at the graph, no one had bet even six figures. There was no bets in the 100,000. Somebody took 1.03 on Bautista Agut and just smashed 200,000 pounds on it. And so, what happened next? Well, Murray won the third set, 7-6 at a tiebreaker, outrageously. And then the fourth set, Murray won it 7-6 in a tiebreaker. And if you're now the guy that has £200,000 on Andy Murray, I'd imagine you were feeling a little bit nervous at this point. <laughs> the mentality of licence to print money at that price is rather frightening. That is heart attack stuff. So what are you feeling then when you're watching the game? <laughs> I'd imagine you're probably part of a syndicate because um, people that are betting this large aren't going to be single players. Um, but somebody in that syndicate has taken the decision and said, guys, this is a free six grand. This is a free six grand. And you're sitting there and Murray's come back 
two sets. Now, I don't know what price he was, but I'd imagine he would have been... He, he wouldn't have been as far out as three. It would have been between two and three, I would imagine, because he's won the last two sets in a row. I think um, Bautista Good still would have been the favourite. But what are you, you're sitting there going, no. I think at that point, I... Because you can't... Tra- what are you going to do? Trade out at three when you've laid it... When you've backed at 1.03? You can't. It, it wouldn't even make a dent. I mean, you'll have lost 97% of your trade if you're, if you're doing that. So I think I turn the TV off and I just go for a walk. <laughs> the first time I had a very big no-goal scorer bet... So this is where you back um you back a no goal score in the game. Um you can back way more than your bankroll dictates because you can lay nil nil in certain situations. Um it, the bookies used to take a lot more on no goal score um sort of half a decade ago and a decade ago than they do just now. But yeah, I had this uh, I had this v- large bet on and it was one nil on goal. And it was the 85th minute of the night match. And Manchester United just had wave of wave and wave of attack. And if they score another goal, then my back doesn't win. But if they don't, then both bets are going to win. And I couldn't handle it. It was one of the very few times I couldn't handle the pressure of watching the game. And so I turned the television off and uh, I said to Jen, do you just want to go for a walk? Should we just go for a walk for 20 minutes? Um, No phones. No nothing, and then we'll come back and see it. Because I'd much prefer that now than the stress I'm experiencing of watching this game. And I think if I had 200,000 on a goot at 1.03, I think I would have been exactly the same. I was like, once it goes two sets all, I'm like, I'm turning the TV off and I'm going to go for a walk down the canal. But this time the walk has to be for about 90 minutes and I'm going to do my best to think about anything else other than what's happening in this game. (laughs) So the match finished 6-2 anyway um, in the fifth set. And so the guy's money was safe in the end. Um, But then the funniest thing happened. (laughs) So Mark Petchy, who happened to be Murray's first professional coach, um, went to interview Andy Murray. And Andy Murray was like, you know, he was saying, I'm really upset and... um, I was injured, but, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna do my best to fight back. And he said, and I quote here, he said, um, if I want to go again, I'll need to have a big operation, which there's no guarantee I'll be able to come back from anyway, but I'll give it my best shot. So that's what he said. You know, he had the press conference where he was upset and, say, and talking about potential retirement, but here he's just lost the match. He's saying, you know, I'm going to do everything in my power to come back from this, even if it means the bigger operation, which might not be a success. But that was a really poorly timed thing for him to say, because the Australian Open organisers had compiled and planned a heartfelt and emotional video tribute to him featuring tear-jerking congratulations-on-your-retirement messages from Rafael Nadal, Caroline Wozniacki, Novak Djokovic, and other players. How funny is that? So there is Andy Murray standing on the court with Mark Petchy, looking up at the screen, and there's all these players saying, Andy, I'm so sorry to hear about your retirement congratulations, you were a hero. And everyone's talking about the fact that he's had a great career. 
And Murray's, Murray is just standing there looking up at the screen, expressionless, and he's like thinking, uh, I haven't retired yet. <laughs> it was very awkward. <laughs> and very bizarre. And very, very, very funny. <laughs> Getting my ass kicked in the Australian Open tennis, by the way. I'm, I'm not, there's not a million and one offers that I'm that interested in. I think Bet UK. I mean, obviously Bet three six five have the two up, um, which I cannot partake in. I don't have a Bet three six five account uh, that qualifies for early payout. And if you do, then it's great value. I don't quite know what Bet three six five are going to think about switching over from betting so much on decent football to singles on tennis as well but if you've got it it's an amazing offer i think it's it's men's only because the women's game is shorter obviously and if you bet on them to win and they go two up then and they don't win the game or if they go two up they'll pay out so if they go two up and then it goes to all you can hedge some money and if they don't win the game then you're going to win both bets um and a lot of games seem to have gone well they seem to have gone a player going two nil up and then it going to all, and then the original player who went two 0 up won anyway. So if you're hedging and taking some money out, then that's fine. We're going to um, have a early payout calculator up on the site very shortly. I, I, it's in front of me now, but we're just um, making sure it's testing and uh, working. Um, which um, well, it's not calculator, it's a tracker. It's going to uh, it'll identify all of the different potential bets at Bet three six five automatically. So there's a bit of kit. Um, that should have out and bet UK have a tennis offer on if I just bring it up um, money back to 50 pounds you click the link and it doesn't actually go so you just got to read the really small writing money back uh, as a free bet if your player loses in five sets so there you go you bet you can bet up to 50 quid and you get your money back and that's very decent as well because there's a lot of close matches in, in tennis i'm not doing it myself just i'm not focusing on free bet refunds um but it's it's definitely a viable way of making money. I'm also not doing it because I haven't signed up to Bet UK. I need to do that. But wow, what a sub! Bet five, get five. <laughs> it's been a while since I've looked at subs as a means for um, making money, but I didn't realize how low they'd got. Looks like it's a um, viral skin. This um, they're always at the top of the boosts tracker for boosts so i really should get around to signing them up i think the very the top bet just now is bet uk and i think it's tiger woods to win a major in 2019 it is six to back and if you take the all price of the majors it's 4.09 which is 146.79 that alone might be worth money if beef johnston wasn't gonna win all the majors this year so yeah i think actually i'll put that on my to-do list and get around to signing up to bet uk i've left that too long the William Hill horse race on the weekend was the 240 at Kempton. This one was more like it. It was a 14-runner um, race, and William Hill were paying six places, one to five. So nearly half the field. Oh, I'm looking up, and it looks like Conta's been knocked out, which is, a, which is unfortunate. At quarter past three in the morning, they are interviewing Muguruza. So she's, she's just going to run to bed. Um... 
So yeah, fourteen runner race with six places, much more like it. Um, it was relatively easy to cover the race. I saw um, Duncan covered the race in just twenty three bets, which isn't too bad going in a fourteen runner race because you're covering the um, favourite a couple of times there, especially when the favourites as short as eleven to four, Cloudgate. But um, yeah. He, he 23 bets returned 433 pounds profit for him so that's you know when you're on every single horse in the race as well he was a little underexposed on and the now posted a graph up on the forum but it's it's really that's quite easy work i mean how difficult is it placing 23 bets you know especially if you're in like a big cosmopolitan urban area that's got a lot of william hills and you can walk in. You can get some bets on on the counter. You can go onto the machine and get some bets on. Once the machine's um, restricted you. Because go on the machine. And then if you try and place £9,000 on a 10 to 1 horse in a race that's paying three extra places. Because in a 14 runner race you normally get three. William Hill paying six. It will come back with a restricted stake. And it will also say you win only. And then try again. And that machine's on lockdown. But just move to the next machine and you should be okay. Sometimes the machines are tied, but if they're working independently from each other, then you can just take advantage of every single machine. Go up to the counter, you'll get a £1,000 liability on the win on the horse there, and you might be a get away with three or four horses at the counter. And so each shop, there's the potential to get quite a lot on. Just don't be a jerk, though. I mean, that's something that I would say. Someone said to me the other day, I went into the shop and I went to place a bet. And they immediately restricted me, phoned up the trader, and the trader offered me almost worthless amount of money. And so, right, I said, have you have you ever been in that shop before? No. I said, well, if you're not familiar with the staff, there's some shops around me, the guys know me, and they're probably going to let me get a little bit more on without phoning the trader. But if they don't know you, that is an actual classification of a punter that they're told to look out for. You meant They're meant to be looking out for punters that they've never seen walk into the shop before. So the very first time you walk in, play it cool. Secondly, get a rapport with them, right? Two things, even if you don't like it, I don't care if you haven't got very much confidence or anything like that. As you walk up to the counter, look the, look the guy in the eye or the girl in the eye and smile, right? If, if you're shuffling and looking at your feet... And you go up and you place the bet and it's for a large amount of money, as generally we are asking for. And you're acting nervous and unfriendly. It's the unfriendly thing. If you stink of unfriendliness, then you're going to have a harder time. It's a, it's a fact that dickheads find it more difficult to get on in shop than nice people, than people that are friendly, than people that what you want to be a friend. And... I, I get it, right? Not everyone, not all dickheads are dickheads because they're dickheads. A lot of people are dickheads because they don't have very much confidence. And we don't have very much confidence. You shuffle around, you carry yourself badly, your shoulders are drooped. And it comes across as sometimes, especially when you're betting large sums of money, that unconfidence comes across as arrogance and unfriendliness. It really does. I'm sorry. Even if you're not meant, if you're not thinking that you're arrogant and you're not thinking that you're unfriendly, the fact that you're betting a very large sum 
and your shoulders are drooped and you're looking at the floor and you're not smiling and you're being nervous. I'm sorry, you're coming across like a dickhead. Even if you're not a dickhead, you're coming across like a dickhead. And so there are just some certain rules to not come across like a dickhead that apply in everyday life. Make eye contact and smile. Two things that are really, really easy to do. And you'll find that you're a lot less nervous if you smile. And you're also a lot happier as an individual. The act of smiling makes you happy. I mean, this might sound like teaching your mother to suck edge, but loads of people don't know how to make eye contact and how to smile. A lot of youngsters and teenagers don't know how to do it. And if they just did it, then they would carry themselves a lot better and have more confidence. It's, it's a physical thing that you're doing that actually has um, um, a positive effect on your mental well-being. Definitely at the poker table, people that are, uncomf um, that are unconfident and carry themselves badly lack an edge. And people that tend to talk the most and laugh, they tend to be the table captain. And, uh, and friendly table captains tend to be more successful at poker than none. And it's the same in betting shops. So look, if it's the first time you've got in there and you're not familiar, just be savvy. Be aware of what the PTL is and stay under it. Probably well under it for the first one. Because you are sticking out like a sore thumb. I promise you. When you go up to the, the, the desk, smile, make eye contact, and actually say, how are you doing? Say the words, how are you doing? And smile. Okay, instead of just asking for your bet. Because the people behind the counter are often rushed. They want to have uh, no one speaking to them. And it's just be nice. And if they want to chat, they'll chat. And if they don't want to chat, they'll just say fine. But either way, you've, who would you rather, you know, if you're working in a shop, who would you rather phone a trader over? Somebody that is um, um, unfriendly and coming across like a dickhead and unfamiliar or somebody that's friendly and they might be unfamiliar, but at least they're smiling and asking you how they are. It's definitely, definitely the first one that you're going to phone the trader up. And then it's very good form if you're picking up a big win. Just drop them a little tip. Because here's, it, it's a fact that one of the things shop staff are told to look out for is people collecting big wins, especially people collecting big wins regularly and they're meant to report them upwards and if you collect too many big wins too regularly then you're going to be ptl'd by the regional manager because everyone's got a little descriptor of like a name for them um uh, on what they're doing and if you're betting large sums um they're going to try and figure out if you're an arbor so try and not be an arbor that's the first thing um but also drop them a little tip because if they know that when the, the you're going to come in and collect you, the, your money, they're going to get a tenner or more possibly or, or even just a fiver, they're going to be a lot less likely to report you upwards, especially if they like you as well. If you're the guy that comes in and is smiling and laughing and making a joke and everything like that, you know, and if they're not going to get tipped and you're Mr. Miserable and you're betting large sums of money, then you're going to get PTL'd and restricted and everything like that. And the people that are PTL'd and restricted is never a surprise. It's never, it's, it's never the nicest guy who complains that he can never get on in shops, ever. <laughs> the nice guys are the guys that actually amaze me how much money they can get in shops. The guys that are funny, you know, they tend to be the guys that are betting way over what shop staff should be phoning up for, but shop staff aren't phoning up because they like the guys. So just 
you know, learn how to carry yourself well. That's my advice. And not it doesn't really just apply in betting shops. Do that everywhere. You know, for waiters coming up. Don't you hate it when you go out for dinner and the, the, the people on the table next to you seem to have come out with the, the purpose of complaining to the waiter or the waitress or the 17-year-old girl who's almost certainly got nothing to do with the options available on the menu or the pricing structure of the business. You know what I mean? I wouldn't want to be a waitress. That's what's up. How am I on giving advice in restaurants in the Bashcast? I don't know why we got here. So let's quickly do a turnaround and exit. Guys, you are listening to the Bashcast and it's brought to you by BookieBashing.net. bashing news hey check out those rhymes Tom Waxen lyrical <laughs> a document was released and retweeted by Jimmy Justice um, this uh, is a document yeah, it's in front of me now 
it's obviously for the intention of the retention of um, bookmakers. Whether UK or abroad, we don't know. It possibly could be overseas bookmaker. Um, it doesn't state where it's from or who it's to. But it's still very interesting reading. Um, and it's titled Client Risk. So let's have a look through this, okay? Client Risk. Which is always as a customer, as a betting customer. Should strike the fear of God into you. Client Risk is responsible for assessing customers and allocating an appropriate stake factor where the stake factor is an indicator of the customer value. So the stake factor determines the percentage of a system-generated standard bet a customer is able to place, e.g. 0.01 equals 1%, 2.0 equals 200%. So we all know that we get restrictions. Not all restrictions are the same. And this document is kind of proving that. So here is the table. Let's go through it. The stake factor bands from worst to best. So 1% is for bots, arbors, and BIP feed advantage. That's betting in play feed advantage. So some people can um, get an advantage by court-siding um, or having a feed where they can get information for what has happened in play quicker than the bookmaker can change their odds. So an example is on an exchange. You, you could be at a race course and you could see a horse fall and you could know that the horse has fallen and you could immediately put a lay of 1,000 up on the exchange, hoping that someone will back a horse that cannot win the race because it has fallen at 1,000. It's free money. So that is betting in play advantage. And um, that is categorized as bad as bots and arbors in this table, where you are restricted to 1%. 2% is money bookers and net tellers initial review, excluding Singapore and Germany, which is the bit of this document that makes me think that this is an overseas bookmaker. So if you are using an e-wallet, now why are they excluding e-wallets? E-wallets are traditional methods for used by people who are multi-accounting. They're, e they're easier payment methods that you can use for betting in somebody else's name. So money bookers and Neteller immediately will raise flags within a bookmaker. And this particular document suggests that an initial review determining that people are using money bookers and net teller, you'll be factored down to 2%. 3% is betting in play triggers. So the second part of betting in play, I'm not quite sure what the triggers are. You could probably predefine that if someone is making, because there are advantages to in play betting. It's not something that we cover in bookie bashing. But people do make a living out of exposing advantages for betting in play. And it looks like if you are doing that, you're facing as much restrictions as you are when you're arbing. Although arbing is absolutely the worst. You can get three times as, mu um, as much on on this table uh, with betting in play triggers. 10% is the first stage for unprofitable business and third-party accounts. So 
Third party accounts. Why would you be used? Nobody who is a losing gambler uses a third party account. Only people who are making money gambling use third party accounts. So if you're unprofitable for whatever reason, the first stage is you go to 10%. And if you are suspected of using a third party account, well, why would you be using a third party account if you are a losing customer? You wouldn't. The only people that are winning, so that's 10% there. 25% is price wise only and tipping lines. So if you're just betting on price-wise or just betting on tips, you'll be factored down to 25%, which I think, by the way, is that one. That's one of the more ridiculous ones, along with the next is 45% odds checker. Really? So if, you're, if you see a bet that you want and you happen to use odds checker, you don't have to click through odds checker. You just have to be betting at top price. Then you're going to be factored down. In this day and age, though, how many people really are betting at not top price, at under top price? I don't know. Maybe it's more than I think, but lots of people are very price savvy. Okay, if I'm in Tesco's and I know that something's cheaper in Morrison's, I'm not necessarily going to try to travel from Tesco's to Morrison's, but the online game is a different world. It's incredibly easy to close an app and open another app when I know that I'm getting a better price. And if I can get 10 to 1 where you're paying 8 to 1, why wouldn't I get 10 to 1? It's ridiculous to suggest that I wouldn't want to bet at top price or that anyone wouldn't want to bet at top price. 50% is a negative review next 10 bets. So you've had your account reviewed, it's negative, so you're at 50%. 75% is a neutral review next 10 bets neutral review so you you've not been shown to be unprofitable there's nothing to suggest that you're going to be a winning customer and you're still restricted to 75 percent 98 percent is trade managed whatever that is so that your normal account probably i don't know trade managed is 98 percent 100 percent is new accounts and to be fact stake factors. So you open the account, you start at 100%. And that's the only time that you're at 100%. So you're never at 100% again, other than when you're new. But you can go over 100%. 101%, no concern after review, core business. 150% is possible VIP. 200% is VIP. And 500% plus is something called HVC, um, a high-value customer, possibly. Right. So those three are very concerning. VIPs get 150%. So you're a very important person. Why are you a very important person? Two reasons and two reasons only. They know you're losing and they, you bet larger than your average customer. So if you're losing and you bet large you're going to be VIP. High-value customer, there can only be one definition of a high-value customer. And that is that you're a big-time loser. You're only betting on bad bets. You're betting a lot on those bad bets. I think possibly another definition of high-value customer could be problem gambler. You know, someone that is... um, Obviously not good at gambling and somebody that is betting a lot of money. I mean, how many city boys, rich financiers, doctors, CEOs 
are there splashing loads of cash around on really bad bets these days that aren't even top price? How many? Compared to, say, problem gamblers. What's the ratio there? Is there, is there more problem gamblers than there are millionaires splashing around cash? Then it goes to tasks and methods. Real time. So this is obviously more things that are offered by the company that has written this little document. Monitoring tickers by sport, stake factor band. Customer activity race by race across sports. So they'll monitor you in real time doing that. Tracking our in-house bot and customers active at the same period. What's this in-house bot? Is this a betting bot? Low stake factor activity targeting specific markets. So it's going to monitor people on low stake factors targeting specific markets there. Reporting, it will show customer rankings. It will show the advantage that you've achieved. The, the advantage that the customer has achieved over the starting price or the final price. So if you're betting and the, and the bet that you bet is higher than the final price, then um, you're going to be on a report. It's going to be showing how much you're betting over that. Odds checker customers. Starting stake factor of 0.45, okay. Acquisition offers, review of the customers qualifying for the welcome offer free bet. Okay, so you open an account, you place a qualifying bet. That qualifying bet is really going to be looked at hard. Did you bet at something that is pretty obscure? That is 2.05 to back, 2.06 to lay. And then you put the same stake on a really high bet for the free bet. If you did, you're already, that very first bet, that has been reviewed. And that's why, if I ever have the benefit of a new account, and I said before I've got a bet on Bet UK, I am literally not going, I'm going to choose a bet at random. I'm not going to look for value. Uh, I'm probably not going to be placing a bet of £5 to get the £5 free bet. I'll place a bet of £100 and I'll have the £5 free bet and I will place the £5 free bet on anything. Because... I know they're looking at it, and this report just confirms that they're definitely looking at the qualifying bet that you made. Reporting of payment me methods, because Skrill and Nutella are historically unprofitable. 2% stake factor at the start of the review process. Review of the customer's activity by the time of the day. Okay, that means that's not important. Delivery of the daily trading summary to show top-bottom performing products, events, and customers. The top-performing customer. And then managing risk, review of the system risk thresholds in relation to levels of acceptable risk, so they can change the stake factors, I assume. Analysis of performance by event market, identifying any pricing algorithm weakness, weaknesses. Free bet abuse, identifying abusive traffic using agreed criteria. I hate that word abuse when it comes to, when it comes to customers betting. Uh, someone, someone that is attempting... To make money from a monetary bet using a strategy that isn't abuse. And the word abuse is um, spread like wildfire across the industry and it's wrong. Review of affiliate tra traffic eliminating CPA abuse, commission abuse when identified. Managing relationship with top-performing affiliates. Setting territory-specific stake factors based on historical performance and assessment of current activity. And HVC, high-value customer bet acceptance. So that's the report here. 
And this has been leaked and Jimmy Justice tweeted it to the BBC and things like that. Look, I understand there's a few things that are kind of inevitable, right? That we, we are simply never going to be in a situation where arbors have the same stake factor um, as if you if, if you like the no concern after review customer, your normal customer. Right. There won't be a scenario where a, a, a betting company, a private limited company, is aware that somebody is using an, uh, their platform to arb and make money, just take and cost the business money. And they, I, I think they have, they have a genuine right to use different restriction levels on those people as core business. That should be on silent. Shut up, you. Where it gets a little sketchy is after that. Odds checker customers, people that are taking top price, they're getting restricted. That's ridiculous. People are taking, everyone should be taking top price. If you know that you're top price and you don't want to be top price, cut your price. How can Pinnacle run a business where winners are welcome and be and know that they're top price and push the price out as far as they can? And here you are restricted. Perhaps by the year 2030, someone will have thought of a business model that focuses on pitting the wits against the customer. Here's the winner's welcome policy from Pinnacle. The majority of bookmakers severely restrict any customer that they that are consistently profitable. Not at Pinnacle. Winners are always welcome. Although many bookmakers are happy to accept your bets when you lose, as soon as you start to win, they will re refuse to let you bet. Even if they do it, even if they do, it will be for very small stakes, as we're seeing on the stake factoring sheet. However, Pinnacle is different. No matter how much or how often you win, we will always take your bets. How can bookmakers ban winners? It might seem unfair and unethical, but closing accounts or restricting customers who win is completely legal. Just like an insurance company can choose not to cover an asset, a bookmaker can choose not to accept bets. The question most people will be asking is why do bookmakers accept bets and customers and then decide to ban them or limit their account? In short, this is to maximize the profit and to limit any potential losses. The majority of bookmakers aren't skilled enough when it comes to risk management to handle customers who know that what they're doing. And this is the problem here. When, when it, there are so many bookmakers out there and they're not skilled enough. But I don't think restricting people that bet at top price is actually going to be beneficial for them in the long run. Pinnacle continues, In addition to our best value odds and high limits, the fact that winners are welcome at Pinnacle is what makes us so unique. Our business model is based on generating volume. It doesn't matter if that volume comes from winning or losing customers. If you consistently make a profit, instead of turning away your business, we use it to help set our odds and make sure that they accurately reflect the probability an event come occurring. And this is what it boils down to. The level of skill and experience amongst our trading teams means we have full confidence in their ability to manage our odds. Pinnacle customers can bet with confidence knowing they are getting the best odds online and having the peace of mind that they won't be barred or restricted. It's really that simple. 
if I flip a coin, the odds are 50-50, okay? Now, I'm skilled enough to know that if I offer you 20 to 21 on either heads or tails, I'm going to make a profit in the long run, and I'm going to make enough profit to run a business. So there you go. Choose heads, choose tails, 20 to 21, okay? Now, because another bookmaker is offering four to five on that line, I know I'm best price. Am I going to limit you? for taking 20 to 21 on the heads or tails? I would have to be an idiot. How unskilled do I have to be as a bookmaker to stake factor restrict you because you've taken 20, 20, um, 20 to 21 on heads or tails? It's moronic. Okay, I should only be offering a price that I know is positive expectation on my side because I've added in a margin. Right, And because you're taking top price from Ob's Checker, that should have absolutely nothing to do with it unless I'm, inco- I'm basically incompetent. And now this normalizes incompetency amongst bookmakers. We're now going down the line where unskilled incompetency is de rigueur. It's the norm. Bookmakers are being allowed to get away with being incompetent. And... Opening the market up and allowing more and more people, it seems to me that if you've just got a little bit of a bankroll behind you, you can get a license and become a bookmaker with no skills in the odds compiling and setting at all because you just outsource that to another company. So here I am, I've got a million pounds, I'm going to start Tombet and I just outsource the um, infrastructure, the platform to someone and I outsource the odds to someone else and I just sit back and I, I let all the money come my way. And I don't have to do anything, not a single thing. And that's one of the reasons why we have so much variety and there are so many bookmakers out there. But that choice has led us down the line where one of the reasons why we're being factors so much is because the skill and the integrity and the actual trading has been completely removed And that's not a good thing. So I have a real problem with odds checker being stake factored to 45%. I have a real problem with neutral reviews being staked to 75%, where accounts where there's absolutely nothing to be concerned about are still being stake factored. But the biggest problem I have with this document is 150% stake factors for VIPs 200% for possible VIPs, 200% for VIPs, and 500% plus for high-value customers. Because the Venn diagram of rich bankers and doctors and problem gamblers will be very weighted towards the problem gamblers, the people who are betting too much and the people that are betting too often and the people that are betting on to bad bets. Now, look, I, I, I don't have a solution for problem gambling. I certainly um, think everyone needs to take a little bit of personal responsibility. And so problem gamblers, they, they need help. But one of the things that's not going to help them is allowing them to have larger, significantly larger limits, five times limits than... A normal customer. This is the point where we're becoming, it's becoming immoral. It's it's, it's not just wrong, it's unethical. 
to have 500%. If you were proving to me that every single one of the high-value customer was a millionaire, a rich banker, a rich doctor, that is just betting on bad bets and splashing his money around, it still doesn't sit comfortably with me. But add in the fact that a lot of problem gamblers will be falling into that category and now the red carpet is being um, rolled out for them, this has to be stopped. There There probably now has to be legislation and the legislation needs to go down the line of you cannot treat people who you determine to be high value customers, essentially big losers with red carpet. Uh, red carpet treatment everybody should be treated not equal but more equally and more equally does not mean that there is a 5,000 times difference between people who are getting an advantage in betting and play and people who are defined as high value customers so it's very concerning Okay, that's an, let's move on. The MLS um, had a big ceremony on last Tuesday, two days ago, to announce that the league's 27th club, Austin FC, will start playing in 2021. So, of course, America doesn't have promotion and relegation I think the poor are for it but it's interesting that it's a different structure um, most new teams come along from expansion teams franchises and so the new franchise in the MLS is going to be Austin FC so it, it, it was going to be potentially a relocated Columbus crew but um, a billionaire has come along and um, there's going to be a new team Great, good for them, good for the people of um, Austin. So, although the debut of Austin FC in their first Major League Soccer game is more than two years away, the branding process has already begun. So they've got a green and black badge with an oak tree on it. So it's very nice. Um, for one, and thanks to the supporters group, Austin Anthem there are six songs already printed out so that fans can practice over the next 24 months now I don't know about you but there's nothing more that I enjoy than forced singing from the terraces <laughs> some of the funniest chants ever have been made up by football supporters who can be hilarious there was um, a Newcastle player Tamuri Ketsbaya and it didn't take long for the fans to the tune of Sex on Fire by the Kings of Leon whoa Tamuri Ketsbaya there was a Celtic one that was just about Shunsuke Nakamura, which was just deliberately wrong. It's like it was just getting everything as wrong as it could because he's Japanese, right? So he wouldn't eat Chinese food. 
But then it just, it, there's only one Nakamura, one Nakamura. He eats chow mein, he votes Sinn Féin, walking in a Nakamura wonderland. <laughs> Why is he voting Sinn Féin? And then there's um, Rangers Andy Gorham um, was diagnosed with mild schizophrenia. And they were playing Dundee United or something. And the away fans behind him started chanting, There's only two Andy Gorhams. Two Andy Gorhams. There's only two Andy... So, they can be fun. But the point of them is that the fans come up with them themselves. One. And two, they're funny. They're witty. They're intelligent. Now, to be fair, witty and intelligent chanting is not something that the Americans are incredibly brilliant at, as you will ever see if you go to an international match with the United States of America, and the best that they have is USA. USA. I've been at the WSOP um, when the rail, um, and in the rail, you know, people from different countries normally aggregate and sit together. Now, the most people who are playing in the WSOP are American because it's in Las Vegas. So it's just easier for Americans to get there. Number one. And number two, they have the richest economy in the world. And so more Americans can afford to enter large buy-in poker events. Um, But you will get um, USA chanting from the American fans, which is literally just USA, USA, repeat repeat ad infinitum. And then you'll get chants from, albeit probably very drunk Brits, but they're witty and they're funny and they're amusing and they're different every single time. The same one doesn't get used twice. It's the difference between American and British and sports so i've been to a lot of nfl and baseball and nobody chants in the crowd they're just not used to it um mls i've never been to but because you know spanish and um italian crowds sing and british crowds sing and um aussie crowds drink uh, um but the internationals do it they want to bring some of that atmosphere over to the mls one way for doing it is not having the Austin Anthem Group come up with the official hymn sheet. So, there are six hymns on here, and I'm going to read them in order of how terrible they are. The one that I don't have too many complaints about is um, where they just sing Won't Back Down, the Tom Petty song, which is fine. Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. I've got, okay. It's a bit weird, but I've got no problem with people singing Tom Petty, who presumably is a son of or Austin or something. Number two, though, you've got All Right, and this is repeated until signaled to stop, and it goes All Right, All Right, All Right, All Right, Austin FC. That's actually written down on the hymn sheet, what I've just said. And you're meant and so you're meant to wait. Until signal to stop, and then you stop. Don't continue singing all right after the signal to stop. You stop when the signal tells you to stop. The third of the sixth is Dale, Dale Austin. Again, repeated until signal to stop. And it goes Dale, 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 Austin. Dale, 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 O. Which is just as repetitive as all the classic all right. But I actually have no idea what that one's talking about. Number four, 
is Austin FC. And get this one. Austin FC. Clap, 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 clap. Vamosh. El Tree. Clap, 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 clap. Because they've got the tree on the badge. Um, Vamosh, Spanish for go. Go, El Tree. That's the nickname, presumably. And you clap in that as well. By the way, I wish I hadn't clapped because of the... That is starting to hurt. Number five. One of our own. Which uh, is an English standard. Most identify that with Harry Kane. But the Austin version obviously doesn't use Kane. And instead subs in the name of the most of most supporters' favourite player, which is hash insert name hash. And it goes like this. They're one of our own. They're one of our own. Oh, hash, insert name, hash. They're one of our own. I mean, I'm welling up. I'm welling up at the thought of that. Um, and you're meant to sing that for two verses, it states, with your scarfs in the air. So don't you dare. Don't you dare sing that with your scarf. Not in the air, but here is the classic. I've left. I've left the last one, the best one to last. And this is called 7-4. And this is, again, scarves in the air, repeated until signalled. And the song goes like that. Set like this. Are you ready? You better be. Sit down for this one. Put your scarves in the air as well if you've got one. If you haven't got a scarf, pause the bashcast, go get your scarf, come back and wave the scarf in the air as we sing this together. And close your eyes because we could just be in the Austin FC Stadium. Are you ready? Have you got them? Okay. 7-4. 7-4. It's not the score. It was the vote that got us our brand new home. That's right. It is a song, a chant, that honours a frickin' city council vote that allowed a rich billionaire to build a stadium. I mean, I like nothing better when going to watch the tune than, you know, cheering on and thanking Mike Ashley, who bravely and selflessly has made tens, if not hundreds of millions out of my football team. And is, and is making more and more money more efficiently through his abuse of power. Saying all of that, I think Austin FC, because, in fact, because of this, Austin FC is going to be my MLS team of choice come the 2021 season. Mr. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but... Uh... Right, are there any edges anywhere? Guardian newspaper on Wednesday the 16th of January suggests that British racecourses 
one to ban the use of drones around tracks whilst racing is taking place, not because of fears of the safety of runners and riders, but rather due to the concerns that punters are on Betfair are using real-time pictures from the drones to get an edge when betting and running. What the report fails to mention, however, is an obvious reason why many racecourses would want to stamp this practice out. It is competition for their in-house operations, which sell the same edge for thousands of pounds annually. Now, there's little doubt that lag-free pictures from above the back straight would give exchange players a significant advantage over anyone using the standard broadcasts from Sky Sports Racing and Racing TV and offer a chance to see how a race is developing and then back all they accordingly several seconds before television viewers. The time delay on live racing tends to vary according to day, track and platform, but it is rarely less than three seconds and can be as much as 10 seconds if, for instance, you are watching via cable on Virgin Media. That is an eon in the febrile world of in-running betting in which a long Odds-on favourite can turn into a no-hoper in the time it takes to jump a fence. An analysis by Betfair back in 2012 found that nearly 28,000 horses were matched at 1.01 in running from 2009 to 2011 exclusive, exclusive and 387 were beaten. Um, okay. Doesn't seem extraordinary. In the same period, there were 108 winners which were matched in running at the maximum price of 1,000. These are extreme events, but they offer a hint of the steady money to be made in every race, every day of the week, by anyone with access to truly live pictures and a lightning-fast connection to Betfair. This is, of course, nothing new. Betfair has been allowing punters to bet in, in running for 20 years, and the time delay on most punters' pictures has always been a magnet for sharp operators with the resources and opportunities to exploit it. In the days before 3G and 4G data connections, for instance, it was not unusual to see spectators standing by the last fence at a jumps track with a mobile phone hoping to relay news of a faller to an accomplice with a fast web connection. But what is also nothing new is racecourses seeking to exploit the time delay for their own benefit. Many now rent unused hospitality suites to in-running punters along with the live feed of uh, the action and a dedicated high-speed internet connection and charge four-figure sums annually for the service. In November 2003, when Tony McCoy rode the 4,000th of his career at Warwick, the only way that the track could cope with the unprecedented influx of reporters and photographers was to squeeze some of us into the box usually reserved for in-running punters. The punters, understandably, were not best pleased about having about this having paid a good chunk of money for a discreet working environment. One told me that he was paying well over £1,000 annually for access to the box at all the tracks meetings. In fact, many, probably most small to medium-sized tracks, will now make some dedicated provision for in-running punters, and the annual value of the market in live pictures is significant. So it is little wonder that they see drones feeding live pictures to bet their backers as amounting to theft in the words of a spokesman for Arena Racing Company, quoted. Some, though, would say that exploiting the time delay to get an edge on, the, on other exchange users who do not have access to superfast pictures is not a million miles from theft itself. Yet this seems acceptable to the tracks because it makes them money. 
Whether it is possible to do anything about the drones is also an interesting question because most tracks are surrounded by land where flying drones is legal and pursuing the users through the courts for breach of copyright, even if you can track them down, would be expensive and in all likelihood futile. Perhaps the sight of a drone flying above the back straight will eventually become as much a part of a day at the races as the white-gloved Tic Tacs ones were in an age where mobile phones and the internet were unimaginable. I need to move next to a race course and buy a drone. I have a friend whose back garden pretty much backs onto Ascot and I think I need to buy him a drone <laughs> for his next birthday. What's coming up? Uh, Aussie Open is going to go into week two next week. Um... Subscribers for Emporium have definitely been on a uh, the sharp edge of variance at the beginning of this tournament. I haven't found many edges for this. I normally have some. I think I'm ruining the fact I don't have access to Bet365 at the moment. Um, so the... Willie Mill horse race on Saturday, I hope, is as decent as the six places on a 14 runner field as it was last Saturday. And if it is, I'm going to be sort of downing tools around about 12 p.m. and focusing on that for the rest of the afternoon as well. Um, in the Premiership, the lunchtime game is going to be Wolves-Leicester, uh, which I actually think is going to be quite a good game um, on Saturday. And the evening game is Arsenal-Chelsea. So there's two games... Or, which should be fairly high quality. Um, the game of the day, of course, is going to be Newcastle versus Cardiff, um, which is, for once, a game Newcastle are expected to win. Man City travel to 23-1 to Huddersfield um, for uh, what might be a thumping on Sunday afternoon. And it's Fulham Tottenham in the evening. Um, it's pretty thin on... Sport though in next week as we are in the height of winter. So just focusing on those Premiership games and the Aussie tennis for now. Whatever it is that you're betting on, please make sure it's value. This is Tom signing out. This is Bake. That's a cool fucking story. I've ever heard in my entire life. That's insane. Can I hear it again? Do you have time?